0: welcome to wobblies and wizards i am your host logar the barbarian joined by ryan from appendix and entertainment welcome hey there how are you doing today
1: oh not not too bad not Not too too bad
0: bad. you've done a few pretty neat little zines here i reviewed one not that long ago on the on the podcast I was kind of curious. I know that the copy I have is a little older. Can you tell me what's the difference between what I was reading through and what the current form of it is?
1: Um, So what it looks like you have is probably the second printing, which is the first OSE printing that we did of it. So originally in 2018, we put out Hidden Hand of the Horla as uh, a quick and dirty zine. It was strictly, you know, Made in my basement, tossed together with a bunch of public domain and uh, and stock art, written for OD&D. Then uh, that was a limited edition. We just printed 100 of them because I had no idea how they were going to sell. I took them to GaryCon with me, sold most of them. And then when I started writing for OSE after I fell in love with the system, I decided that one had to be converted over, have more art you know, specifically bought for it, which is the iteration that you reviewed. The new uh, the new iteration that went through two printings in a year. Oh my <laughs> yeah we had we had the initial printing, which I only ran over you know I think I ran like an extra 25 or something above and beyond what I got on the Kickstarter for that one. so it ran out pretty quick. Then we did the uh, then I did the Kickstarter for Oktoberfest. and Fest I had a stretch goal in there. maybe it wasn't a stretch goal but I reprinted everything that I had already done for OSC. With orange covers to go with Oktoberfest, but the interior of that one was exactly the same. The new version is slightly more professional. I had it professionally printed. This is the fourth printing. We went with our new design, which is color covers on everything. Our new covers for anybody that's seen them are stark white with a color image on them. And I sort of did that to, to contrast the black that you get on most of the official OSE products. So it's got the color cover and then there's some additional material in the appendices is what we ended up adding because over the past few years in your interview, you mentioned that the, the hand mage in the module converted his tower to sort of be uh, quote unquote, like a TARDIS traveling through yes. space. Right. <laughs> so, and it mentions that there's a type of helm, which is actually a seat that you sit in and you can control it with a particular rod and i've had a lot of people because that's been mentioned in the meat of the module how does that work what do we so i ended in a, I, I added rather an appendix to the end of it because all of my all of my works have appendices in them to explain things to add all of the modules have an appendix for all of the monsters in them all the magic items so the gm technically doesn't have to pick up another rule book to run everything right uh, everything is right there in the module. So in this one, I added a couple of extra appendices. One of them is what I was being asked for: a, a guide for how you actually use. If you if you uh, allowed the characters to find one of these rods, how do they use the tower? Right, mm-hmm. which. Deliberately, there's not a rod in the module because it's a little <laughs> one to three module, and you that's know, a lot
0: to give to you first level players right yep, off the bat.
1: Here's a wizard's tower and the ability to have it travel through time and space. <laughs> well, here's what I would do:
0: here's exactly what I would do if it was mine: is I, I'm a big Doctor Who geek. <laughs> I've been obsessed with it since the very early 80s when I started watching it on PBS. And the third doctor. Whenever he could get the TARDIS to work, it wasn't going to go where he wanted it to go. So I would Mm -hmm. have complete control. They'd put it in there like, aha, now I'm taking you where I want to (laughs) go. Nice. That's how I handle it.
1: (laughs) So I added those rules as an appendix. I sort of codified and cleaned up a little bit of the meat of the module, but it runs roughly the same. There's nothing changed with the creatures or the... The treasure that you get or the non-treasure that you get, as you said, in some of my modules, especially ones that are inhabited, I'll drop things like art items in there or Persian rugs or something to that effect that's worth money but it's not just a bunch of gold, right?
0: Well, the positive of that kind of approach to treasure in my mind is it gives you the opportunity for role play when you take this back to a town or a city or a merchant. And as a dungeon master, you know, I like having those little interactions with quirky characters and stuff like that and seeing if they can haggle over a price or whatever. could be a fun role play experience. That's what I like about that approach to treasure.
1: Yep, yep. (laughs) And uh, I, I like that a lot. I've tried doing things like that ever since, I mean, for years before OSC. I've been playing uh, Castles and Crusades, and one of oh. the things that I, one of the things <laughs> I've really liked about Castles and Crusades is their treasure tables have the added portion to have specific art items and artifacts, not as in you know D artifacts of power, but a random roll of. In this room, you find a uh, you find a one foot statue made of mithril with gem eyes, so it gives it this value. So it's you get more interesting treasure than just you found two thousand gold pieces, you know, which is all fine.
0: Uh, you can you can transport a little statue easier than two thousand gold pieces, I'd imagine too.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep um so you know and sometimes it's it's harder to transport things like the the amount of antique furniture that i have in the tower and hidden hand of the horla (laughs) you know everybody leaves there and goes back to town like we need to hire porters to help us get stuff out here and it's not easy to get that stuff out of there either because hidden hand of the horla you've just got a shaft with a ladder running up and down it to get things through so you have to set up you know it's fun to watch players you know try to get all things too you know so and and the you know the The uh, things that people come up with sometimes to do things like that can be fun and add to the adventure in some ways, especially when you get a group who doesn't wait until they've cleared that tower before they start doing that. And
0: (laughs) And things go bad.
1: Yep. Yep. The so, goat
0: people. Well, there's, a, there's a table in there of, of uh, the goat people and the different yeah, things they can be doing and yes. as they, as this is going on, you can be rolling and things could be changing and evolving through the story.
1: All of my shorter modules have random tables in them like that because I make most of them. I, I run a lot of, well, pre COVID, I ran a lot of convention games and a lot of games at local bar game nights here at, at, at a lot of our local Detroit breweries. And, you know, you typically have about a three or four hour slot. So I started trying to design adventures that, because even if you look at the shorter of the old TSR adventures and stuff, nothing fits into that short of a time, you know, And I go, man, it'd it'd be nice to have something that really fits into that four-hour time slot. So you can almost be guaranteed, even if people are screwing around at the table a little bit in the beginning, you can complete this adventure at the convention and people feel accomplished and feel like they've done something, right? But then there's also, I'm running this thing all the time at conventions because i like it and i know it so i know i can run this all the time plus the bar nights around here and i'm running a thing like 20 times over the course of a couple of years so i've started dropping random tables in my things like what have the goat people done in there right and in uh in my latest adventure the child thieves it's it deals with children being abducted right and in the whole dungeon you go into it's where are the children what has become of them so every time somebody plays it, especially for the game master, you're going to get a different experience, even if the players make the same decisions, because you're rolling random tables to see what happened before anybody even got there. So you're always entering a new experience.
0: I like that. I appreciate it. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're right. It is hard to find an adventure you can run as a short one shot. I always have to truncate things. Yep. Everything I wrote is a one shot. It's like, well, I got to get rid of this, this, and this. And then you got yep. like to rush a lot of stuff too to make it happen.
1: Yep. And that's why they, uh, all, all three of the adventures that I have published use Dyson Logos maps, um, his commercial art, is a commercial that he releases to the public. Right. And I try to pick ones that I figure this amount of rooms, I've run games like this already. I should be able to get this out in a, uh, People should be able to conquer this in a four-hour time period, even if they go completely, you know, Off crazy <laughs> and and explore everything, do everything they possibly can, play with all of the moving parts. Because I, I, you've you've read Hidden Hand, mm-hmm. I like to drop moving parts in there for people to play with and do things with that aren't just standard finding traps, fighting monsters, searching walls. It's here's a crazy mirror that can do this if you interact with it here's i mean some of the traps in there have moving parts like the uh I, I don't want to spoil anything but the the rug in the room in hidden hand you know you can play with that oh,
0: you can, oh yeah you, that when was... you learn about that <laughs> thing if you
1: haven't conquered the enemies in there you can use that thing to your advantage too you know yeah you so. certainly
0: could. i mean I, I that also that that rug might also end up being one of those uh if a player, I can see a player party wanting to lug off with that and try to carry yep. it around and use it for all kinds of mischief. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. So there's, you know, and, and, you know, I like to drop all kinds of moving parts into my things where people can really play around with them. And, you know, and, and that's part of the thing that that tower has a moving part where if the players actually found one of those rods, you take that thing back there later. And I've had that happen in a convention game because. One thing, if anybody, if any listeners ever play in a game that I'm running at Gary con or Yukon or one of our local cons or at a bar game or anywhere, I let people bring, keep their characters and bring them to anything I'm running publicly anywhere. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we had a guy, I've got an adventure that hasn't been released, but I was playtesting it before hidden hand. Yeah. It's got the hiding place of the rod from hidden hand in it, oh! but nobody knows that. <laughs> and a guy that plays at all of my games at Yukon played two years prior to the release of hidden hand of the Horla and brought and had the rod on his character sheet. He goes, is it this? <laughs> As a matter of fact, because <laughs> I'm describing what the rods are supposed to be from the wizard's journals in hidden hand. He goes, Wait, do i have one of those is it this did i find this in that thing and fear of the dark when you play tested that like I, ho- I hope to get that out by the way in the next couple of years that's going to be probably my first mini hex crawl that i release for everybody oh, cool. is uh fear of the dark and it, it ties directly to hidden hand because they all take place you know in my home campaign world and uh deal with characters that have actually been in my campaign the hand mage was actually one of my characters in a friend's campaign and he's seen many iterations in other games since.
0: That's cool. I, I have a, I have a, so I have a question, and, and yes. specifically with that module. Now when I was reading through it before I even got to the appendix in. I noticed the phrase firewalk with me in there. And it was like bing trigger.
1: <laughs> David automatically... Lynch is a huge influence on everything that I do.
0: Now, did I miss any other uh were there other references the, in there? Do I have uh, to reread to yes,
1: find them? The the mirror that I mentioned already that you can play around yes. with. When you look into the mirror, the density lines that spin around on it. Oh, yeah, it's the beginning of Twin Peaks. The return.
0: Yes, that's great. And the
1: lines of the floor and the Black Lodge are spinning around on the screen. That's what you see before you, know, you see the eldritch things beyond that man was not meant to know. Right? I only
0: watched like the first half of it. I haven't seen the last episodes. I haven't oh, had man. access to the rest. And I need to, I need to get all figure if out if you like David Lynch. You need to. Up.
1: Yeah, you need to I watch was that. It.
0: Yeah, I was enjoying it. Yeah, enjo- I like David Lynch. I, I love David Lynch. And I love his movies. My least favorite David Lynch movie might just be Dune.
1: Well, he couldn't be as lynchy about that movie because he had to, you know, they kind of made him stick close enough to Herbert's vision, which I love Dune. But I'm not really a hundred percent sure that David Lynch was even the person to make a Dune movie. Right?
0: Here's the thing: I don't know if I love Dune. I okay. read the books when I was in high school. I read like the first three books, uh, the one with his sister and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I, and I read the first and didn't he? If, boy, it's it's been since high school, so that's been hasn't been 30 years yet. I'm not that old yet, yeah. <laughs> but almost 30 years. And I I I don't know if I liked it. I used to say about the books then I said they're interesting. They got a lot of cool stuff in them, but it's like canoeing through mud. They're difficult to get through. It's a it's a it's a dense read.
1: It is. It is and
0: I w- when I after I read the book, that's when I sat there and watched David Lynch's Dune, and I mm-hmm. was kind of nitpicky, like, "Oh, they didn't do this, they didn't do this." And yeah. She just popped up with the blade, screaming. I'm like, Are "You kidding me? That nobody even knows what that is." Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot. So when they came out with the sci-fi series of Dune, I was like, "Oh, I love that," <laughs> and that was my favorite favorite version.
1: That was a sci-fi series of that and Children of Dune. They did a really good. Yes job of hitting all the marks that the books had.
0: Yeah, they did a much better job there, I felt.
1: Yeah, yep. Um, probably still i've seen the new one and so far probably still the closest version to the books that there is was the sci-fi series
0: that w- i was impressed with it i've, I've said forever that was a good one I, I i and i'm still i don't know if i like dune or I, i'm interested in it, i watch it i have mixed mm-hmm. feelings about it i'm confused yeah. about my feelings <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, that, that might be part of the point right So <laughs> that works
0: <laughs> there's so many things that, that that just brings up questions for me that especially from like. Where I'm critical of things like socially and stuff like that. I'm like, ah, certain things go off and then I see. uh, Anyways, moving on. (laughs) My favorite David Lynch movie might not be even the one I think is the best, but it's always been uh, since I've seen it was Blue Velvet. I freaking blew me away when I saw it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Blue Velvet is a great film. Um, I'm also a fan of Maholland Drive and, uh, and Lost Highway. Um,
0: now, the one I've only seen once and I want to see again was Inland Empire.
1: Inland Empire was that I saw was... that I saw it in theaters. And the thing is that it was actually like a, it was actually an experiment in film when he was filming it and decided to release it more than it was actually a movie I mean he would get up every morning and scrawl notes on I I watched something about it and he would scrawl notes on napkins that he was eating breakfast with and hand them to his assistant like one day the monkey is in that movie if and I might be misremembering this but there's a monkey in that movie because one day he just scrawled down that he wanted a monkey in a scene and handed it to his assistant you have to go find me a monkey
0: (laughs) it's been a while since i've seen it. i can't even remember the monkey yep. part i remember the rabbits <laughs> you can't forget the rabbits the yep. rabbits was inland empire right yeah well, it was- the,
1: the, the rabbits were in inland empire but the but rabbits they were also were actually, online they were online before that and he kind of gave them a cameo in inland empire because the rabbits was a series online that he did and you had to watch every episode and pull apart it was a puzzle and you would pull apart what they said, write it down. And if you wa- really wanted to know what they were talking about, by the end of the series, you could rearrange by looking at everything that the rabbits were talking about. And you could actually arrange the entire conversation so it made sense.
0: Well, here's here's the other thing, too. Um, when it came to David Lynch, as I understand it, now, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a David Lynch historian or anything. But as I understand the history of David Lynch, have you seen the ABCs and all that stuff he did? So apparently he was an artist, like a painter, Mm -hmm. who got into film trying to find a way to make a more dynamic painting, essentially. And that's what led into his filmmaking, as opposed to someone making films for film's sake. So understanding that when approaching some of these movies is... It makes a little more sense. <laughs> it, it
1: does. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I view I'm a big movie buff, a big film guy. A part of it, that's why Appendix and Entertainment, because I wanted to have more in my work showing what influenced what I was doing than just, you know, just books like the actual Appendix and from the DMG. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, it's film to me is is potentially the height of all art, because you need to make a film You need to have artists of all stripes working on it because you have, you have all of the arts working in there. You have, you have writers, you have actors, you have musicians, you have, uh, you have graphic artists, right? You have to have all of the arts working together cohesively to make a film so that, you know, David Lynch getting involved and utilizing it that way makes a lot of sense from my perspective, right? It's also not that it's exactly the same thing, but, because of the influence that music has on my work and my need to combine the arts, you know, I'm excited about all of these these album modules that are starting to come out now. Oh got, That's great. <laughs> I've, I've got a few of them. Um, and this is for, for your listeners, this is up in the air right now. But next year is going to be the fifth anniversary of Hidden Hand of the Horla coming out for the first time. Mm-hmm. I anticipate I'm going to be sold out on the current print run again by then. I've been in talks with a couple of musicians about doing an album module version of it for the fifth anniversary.
0: Oh, and that would be cool. If,
1: if not at least a soundtrack vinyl album and, and uh, you know, digital release to go with the, the module itself. We're going to do some sort of special edition sort of thing sometime next year for that.
0: Well, here's my thing that comes to the albums. I love them. Well, especially the, the records like, like they're, uh, and it's funny. I don't buy records. But when I was growing up, I had tons of records that were given to me from uncles, aunts, grand, mm-hmm. everybody. And, and, and some of them are really great, like amazing mm-hmm. records. And I would buy, by the time the 90s came around, I spent a lot of time at flea markets picking these records up for nothing. And, uh, and I just had from the 80s and 90s, just piles of records. That I thought like, you know, by the end of the 90s, records were faded. Like even in the 90s, records were a past thing. But I was still mm-hmm. picking them up because it was cheap music. It's like, hey, yep. I got this whole old album for a quarter. Yeah, I'm doing that. <laughs> yep. And my brother apparently took my record collection, and made a massive record collection. I never thought I'd never see them again. He sold his records off. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I went to my parents' basement, and my brother had returned my old record collection, missing a couple. Re- like there's a few that were probably brought him oh, in some serious money. A oh, couple wow. Johnny Cash records, but so I've still got my records from when I was a child. A huge, nice. massive collection.
1: That's that's and pretty awesome. It.
0: Like all the stuff that was given to me to like all the punk stuff I picked up back then and everything else.
1: (laughs) It's funny because today as we record this is record store day and I'm going to be heading out. Yeah, I'm going to be (laughs) heading out. Um, There's a local record store right here, uh, six miles down the road from me owned by a former member of the Amino Acids who uh, for record store day hasn't happened in a couple of years, obviously, because of COVID and whatnot. But he'll set up and set up a small stage in the back of his store and have local bands come in and play. He makes a big event out of it. So it's a lot of fun. I'll probably be heading up there shortly after this interview.
0: You know, I, I'd be surprised if, if my fiance didn't already know it was because she's a huge, yeah, she's really into it. See, see, what she used to do is she used to work at one of those uh, secondhand shops that sold the kind of stuff that I get into, like comics, yeah. video games, records, nice. and all that nice so she has a a geek lore encyclopedia knowledge is unparalleled she has does this stuff when it comes to this stuff just like i'm constantly like i'm a super geek i knew my comics back in the 80s and 90s but sometimes i'm just like hey honey what's that you explain (laughs) she's she's got she knows her stuff When it comes to the record story day, she's usually there. So I don't know if she knows about it or not, but we'll probably go to today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good time. And, uh, you know, support local art, support local businesses. You know, it's, uh, especially little indie places like that. That's kind of what I'm about, you know? So,
0: um, uh, support your indie indie game creators. That's yes. well, in Wizards. We love that. If you guys are putting something out and you're making it because you're passionate about it, yep. this is what you're into. Those are the kinds of folks that I like to talk to. Like, I like to I like yep. to see succeeding in this. I mean there's a lot of big companies that put stuff out people gravitate to and there's a really big company yep. that most people go buy from, which is that they don't need they don't need any more profit, their shareholders are doing fine. Yeah, some of the little indie creators, even if you're just playing fifth edition, there's plenty of people putting out their stuff for fifth edition on their own. Yep. You can go pick up their zine. So I'm all yep. about that. And, and it's
1: <laughs> and you might end up with something better because those of us that are indie creators aren't tied to you know, the things that the corporate creators are, or we have to have it a certain way and it has to fit this mold because we have to release it this way. And we're going to airbrush all of the art that's in here to look the same. And you, know, you get something that's actually somewhat, at least somewhat art on a level, right? When oh, you yeah. buy from any creator, because you're getting something that's more pure and unadulterated. And I might listen to the fans that buy my stuff about what they want to see in a product, but I don't, I'm not going to slavishly have to hold to what, you know, anyone except for whoever's got the license to the game that I'm releasing for is telling me, right? Like yeah, I can yeah. put out whatever I want and I don't even typically care about what kind of reviews I get because all of my modules have gotten blasted on 10 foot pole every single one. It's like he reads the first few pages. I hear that a lot.
0: I hear that a lot from people. I don't really go there, but I hear that. He's
1: he's got a he's got very specific standards, and if you don't hit them within the first few pages, you're done, right? So
0: I'm not I'm not looking here here at 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 at, at, I almost called this I almost called Wobbies and Wizards the name of my old website. (laughs) Catch myself. I'm here. Well, I'm not looking to. And I'll just put this out there for all my listeners, so you know what you're listening to. I'm not looking to do a heavy critique or, or, or like don't get this because of this. I'm looking for what's good in things, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at what I like about things. If I don't like it, it's probably not going to end up on here. If I don't yeah. least think, oh, this is neat about it, I'm probably not going to pull it off. I don't have any. If, if I have something negative to say about things, I'm not interested in that. There's enough of that out there. That's ninety percent of the internet. Mm-hmm. i'm i'm okay i don't need to be tearing people down people yeah. are putting their hard work into these things especially in the zine uh community and stuff that's going on now it is art and there's so many great artists out there doing so many great things and experimenting with different types of printing and everything else you can see yep. all kinds of cool stuff happening yep. love it it is 100 role-playing games and art have always kind of had a thing together like when we were kids we'd be drawing our stuff up as we were making our games it uh, Yep. There's a huge art element to playing these games.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. um <laughs>
0: That was a rant. <laughs> so, Castle. So, you said that you you play some CNC. Yes, I'm a big CNC fan. <laughs> I play, play quite a bit of it.
1: I I don't play it as much now because you know adult life and not having the amount of time to play all the games I would like to. Right. Oh, I get it. Especially with other things going on in <laughs> life, but i played cnc for a long time we had uh we had a really long running campaign that lasted about six years a oh, little nice. while back yeah yep um i've shifted gears since osc came out there was a while in there where if you know where i was before appendix on entertainment when i was doing the gamers and grognards blog that i backed swords and wizardry pretty hard certain things happened. i'll Leave everything out of here. And I sort of left that scene. And I was going to be working on my own odnd clone, which is what the first iteration of Hidden Hand was released for. It was kind of a test of what I was trying to play test with that. And then within a year after that, you know, Gavin launched, I had already gotten, you know, the BS the BX essentials stuff that came out. Yeah. I, I liked it, but I kind of saw it as almost like, like I like this guy. I like the way that he's laid this out a little bit, but it's kind of just still another BX clone. So, okay. And then when he started kickstarting OSC with everything he was doing for it, uh, you know, he launched some of what I liked about swords and wizardry into it, which a part of that was having the option for ascending AC, because there's a lot of modern gamers I run into that just won't play something that has descending ac right so he dropped the ascending ac in there then he dropped in on in the idea that he was going to put advanced options in there i'm going okay if you're going to scale (laughs) back advance to be bx playable i'm in i need to see what this is about and then i saw his layout and said wow this is clean and usable and you never have to flip a page that's true
0: that's why
1: the hell uh, why 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 in 40 years of plus of gaming has nobody ever thought to do this. I mean, it'd be difficult back in the day when you were literally laying your stuff out by, by posting it up on a board. Right. But since we got word processors and layout software, still nobody has thought this is a good idea until now. And now (laughs) obviously you've read one of my modules. I try to keep to that same thing with all of my work now, because it's, Perfect. Right. The layout, it's, it's the layout idea
0: that those old school essentials books, the art and the layout is amazing. It, it yeah. is, it, it is a revolutionary in gaming. In my mind, it's like,
1: yeah, there's
0: a lot of stuff. I'm looking at that. Like, well, I can't do a lot of stuff now because it, that it, just changed the game.
1: <laughs> even with, I've got a couple house systems that are not fantasy based that we're, that we're working on. And it's probably a long way off since you until anybody sees any one of those. One is a purely a D6 based cinematic system that i'm probably in the next year ish going to release uh, a public play test uh, beta for to have people really knock it around outside of groups that i've played with right
0: yeah uh, it
1: works really well for cinematic stuff but with that the point that i'm getting to is even with that i'm now looking at evan's <laughs> layout of not having to flip a page. Everything fits on two pages has to be the way things are because it works so well to play at the table.
0: Oh, it's amazing. It's,
1: it's just got to be the way of the future, right? That's got to be the way that we move forward.
0: Yeah, but, I'm curious to see. Like, there was some talk about uh, a new edition of of the major, big, number one role playing yeah, game. Yep. Yeah. I'm sitting here, like, I wonder if, and I wonder how much they're going to pay attention to stuff like that that's been going on and getting a lot of attention out yeah. here in the sphere. I'm curious to see what they do.
1: I mean, it's clear that they were watching what we were doing when they released the current iteration with some of the things that were in there. Because, I mean,
0: there's definitely castles and crusades in there. Yes.
1: It's, <laughs> I saw that right away. I'm going, huh, they've got CNC saving throws in here? Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, it's like, it. here's the thing I love about the open game license. And I'm going to put something just out of left field of that. I, 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 I grew up on Palladium. Okay. Palladium was our number one system through the 90s. It was 90% of what we played.
1: Palladium's right in my backyard here. Oh, they're, yeah. They're you from, sure are. Yeah. They're <laughs> fr- they are from
0: here. <laughs> I need to drive up there to the open house at some point in time or something like that. But yeah, I grew up on that. And we, um, like I would have like what they did with the with the open game license, and everybody's put in their stuff and evolved the game so much that it's impacting the, uh, the main game to a point with the new additions. And they're looking at what everybody else did with the license. I would, I would give so much for Palladium to have been like, okay, we're going to do an open license and seen all the hacks of it and see yep. what wonderful things people would have done with it, but we'll not see that because of the licensing. Drives me up a wall. <laughs> You'll never
1: see that with him. He's way too. Uh, <sighs> That's disappointing. I'm not, not going to bad mouth anybody here, right? He, he keeps a pretty Kevin... tight.
0: He keeps a pretty tight lid on it as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yep. is.
1: Yep, and yep. we'll, we'll <laughs> call it that. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, we're coming about on time. Could you tell the listeners where they can find your work? And well, before we go, though, can uh, I get
1: can I get five you, minutes to tell you that and what we've got coming up right now?
0: Yes. Yes, you can. But let me ask you one more quick question. The OSR for all logo that's with, that you have on there was. Yes. Who, who made that? That was me. That's what I thought. That's what I wanted to ask. That's
1: that's I... my uh, that's my logo. Anybody who wants to utilize that on their work can download it uh, for free on the Appendix and Entertainment Drive Through RPG page. So,
0: and if you don't know what it's just like an OSR with kind of like the LGBT uh, flag colors on it. It says OSR yeah. for all, kind of like an yep. old like you know. Yeah, that of was the whole bigotry that, stuff going on.
1: Yeah, that was to show you know. Initially, I did that for me, and there was another OSR uh, like pride logo out there at one point um, right before I made that actually. And it was made by somebody who wasn't necessarily supporting that and just kind of did the corporate thing of yeah, taking and showing their quote unquote support. Right. And I decided that I was going to make one for people to actually put on there and show people this company is a safe place. This company wants to be inclusive, wants to hire people inclusively, wants to work with people inclusively, and wants to provide a, a safe place for all people that want to play OSR games. Because in the OSR, in gaming in general, here's an argument I always have, right? Not to take up more time, but <laughs> a complaint I always have is the OSR has a lot of it very visible, but it's it's there through the gaming community in general it's there through all communities really right yeah there there are always going to be bad actors and they're there right but oh definitely. in the osr because it originally started with the callback to playing older games and emulating older games you know we end up finding a lot of guys who played when they were you know in, in their tweens and teens who have this idea probably because they're just stuck in the mentality and they've become you know more conservative type folks that they'll sit there and they don't want it to be any different. You know, they want it to still be a boys club with people that look like me and act like me and are like me. And there's nothing wrong with what we've ever done. No, there's I, I, the OSR, you know, the, what the R stands for has always been up for debate in the, you know, since like going back to like 2006, 2008, you know, oh, yeah. but I always saw it as Renaissance and a Renaissance, you know, means we're going to take the good things from the past and try to expand upon them and make them bigger and do something new. So the people that consider themselves to be a part of the OSR that are slavishly trying to hold to, this is the way things were and the way things should be, you know, just, just, we have an opportunity to do things that, you know, TSR could never do with D&D or any of those other old games because they had to stick to their corporate layout and why would you not want to try to grow things that way? Yeah, you know. Well,
0: and I'll say, like people say that that old school somehow relates to being um, bigoted, but I, I am an old school anti fascist, sharp, rash. Yep. Like I've been kicking Nazis for quite a few decades. Yes, so I'm old school, and we yes. definitely kicked Nazis out of our clubs when I was a kid. Oh yeah. So I, I'm sticking yep. with that. So anyways, the five minutes, let's, let's take it out of here. Tell let's us where we can find your stuff online and go on for it.
1: <laughs> and I, I will provide you a link to put in the show notes. We are first and foremost about to launch Kickstarter. It's been in a review for a while. Kickstarter, like everybody else is shorthanded on help. So they're taking longer to get through the review process of my new Kickstarter. But I am working with uh, Evelyn Moreau on an Evelyn Moreau exclusive bestiary. Every monster in it is her art. She gives a lot to the community. Uh, as far as her Patreon, she gives a lot back to us. Way, way more than a lot of us actually pay her on Patreon, right? With, with free art that we can use that's just glorious indie art for our works. And I decided that I need to give back to her. So about uh, about a third of whatever this Kickstarter takes is going to go straight to Evelyn. The rest of it is going to be going to printing. I'm hoping it gets big enough that this bestiary can actually be our first hardcover, because I would love to oh, have a, har- cool. a, a a hardcover bestiary out there, right? It's going to have all kinds of wild monsters. I've been sharing some of it around on Facebook while I'm waiting for the thing to be approved, but I will, I will share that link with you when I get approved here. And as far as our other work, everything else, we've got an Etsy shop, we've got a drive through shop, but the easiest way to get there is going to be to go through the main website at entertainment.com which it has my news feed, which is essentially a blog on what's going on with us. Not a ton gets put up there unless we've got something new going on, but it also has our product page and catalog, which has links to every product that we put out the pdf variations of all the books the physical variations of all the books uh some swag that we have other than that if you want to get you know stacy joy does a good friend of mine does a lot of my cover art especially stuff that has anthropomorphic animals so you can get shirts with your cover art on it you can get uh, the appendix N rock and Roll play logo uh on a shirt which you know it's pretty great as far as i'm concerned but excellent uh, Yep. Yeah, and then uh, links to a couple of the things that I've done outside of AppendixN uh, also go there. But that is where you can find us, com.
0: If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. WobbliesandWizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at LogarHailCrom. We are on Patreon. We can really use the support to keep this going. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.